Hello, everyone. This is Ray Renati, and you've reached Green Room on Air. Yay! This is my podcast. It's not anyone else's. It's mine. How you doing today? You, uh, you surviving these crazy times? I'm having a hard time lately. At first, it wasn't bothering me, but now I'm getting, uh, the heebie-jeebies. I'm sitting here at home too much. I want to go out. I want to do things. I want to go to plays, movies, socialize, work. Can't do any of it. I hope they come up with a vaccine soon. I've been watching the news. It seems as though there are a number in the works and that they're fast-tracking all of them. So perhaps one will be viable Somewhere in the near future, let's just hope. Otherwise, we're just going to have to keep our minds as positive as we can. Eat right, exercise, and take your Geritol every morning. Anyway, today I have a special guest. Gary Stanford is his name. I've known Gary for probably, oh boy, 18 years, I think. Gary and I have done one show together, Ragtime at Foothill College, 16 years ago. Uh, We talk about that in our chat, and Gary has uh, played the role of Cole House Walker in uh, the most recent production of Ragtime that he's been in at the Throckmorton Theater in Marin. Cole House is one of the best roles in all of musical theater, in my opinion. So, yay, Gary. And he's been in the show seven times. But mostly what we talk about in our chat is uh, Bay Area theater and racism uh, and the current environment that we find ourselves in now uh, with racism and being the the, the focus and Black Lives Matter and uh, other things of that sort. Uh now, Gary is the host of a brand new podcast video cast, and it's called Planet Bay Area, and it's part of, I think it's a new organization called uh, California Urban Radio, and they do everything exclusively, I believe, through Facebook, and I will have the links for their video cast slash podcast here in the notes, I think the sixth episode is coming up. It's extremely interesting. I loved it. I I watched one of the most recent episodes. It was a couple hours long, and he had two uh, gentlemen as guests, and they talked about so many interesting things that have to do with Bay Area theater, national theater, and Black Lives Matter, and other things. Uh, now... About my conversation with Gary, I haven't edited it much at all, actually none, except I just cut off some of the the front of our conversation that you would have found very boring. (laughs) And as I listen to it, I cringe at some of the things that I say, especially when it involves racism, black and white relations, and, and things of that sort. I left them in on purpose for a couple of reasons. One, I want everyone to realize 
no matter how much you think you're sophisticated <laughs> uh, regarding race and race relations and how to discuss those topics, if you're white, like me, there's a good chance that you may be very lame at it. And I think you'll hear that I am very lame. I listened to myself and I cringed. Thankfully, Gary is a very gracious, understanding, and patient person. <laughs> uh, some of the things I, I say in this podcast just had me want to... I, I wanted to like hide under the table in my desk here. <clears throat> I, I can't believe the way I express myself around these issues, and I think I'm being fair-minded and uh, clear-headed and uh, non-judgmental, and actually I'm not. When I hear myself talk, I'm not. And that was a big wake-up call for me. Anyway, maybe you'll, you'll catch those moments. And maybe you won't, but for me, it was like, yikes, what in the hell? I think, I think we're all just so ignorant about these things. We don't talk about them until recently. We have never talked about them until recently. When I was a kid during the 60s, there was some discussion about these issues. But in my lifetime, I can't remember... Everything being so on the table, open, honest, and raw. And most white people have never really had to do a lot of thinking about this, and so they really don't know how to talk about it, and that includes me. But I'm trying. I'm really trying. I'm very open-minded, at least I think I am, as far as learning and trying to understand the plight of black and brown people in our country. And uh, I did my best, let's just say. I did my best. <laughs> anyway, we're going to get to that in a moment. First, I'd like to say if you ever want to be a guest on the show and you're a theater artist or an artist of any kind, just go to my website, Green Room on Air, and there's a link on there saying you would like to be a guest on the show and it'll send me an email and we can talk. Or send me an email directly at greenroomonair at gmail.com. Also, if you would be so kind, I would love it. It would be so helpful to me if you went into Apple Podcasts through iTunes and left me a rating and or a review of this podcast. That would be wonderful. Let me let me read you one of the reviews I've had recently. Uh, this is from somebody named Parafan Number One. <laughs> Love listening to the podcast. Ray has a wide array of guests in the industry, and hearing his questions to the guests, coupled with his experience in the industry, makes for a knowledgeable listen. A must for anyone who works in the industry or is interested in it. Wow, gosh, I feel special. So help make me feel special please. And go leave me some, uh, go leave me some stars, lots of stars, and a review, and I'll read it online. I'll reread it live on the next podcast, and I'll even say your name if you want. Send me an email, let me know you left it, and you too can have your 15 seconds of fame on Green Room on Air. All righty. Well, without any further ado, 
Let's get to my discussion with Gary Stanford Jr. First of all, I want to say it's so great to see you. I mean, it's been like years. Yeah, good to see you. Man, it has been years. <laughs> I don't think we ever really got to talk a lot. Um, right, right. We did some shows did together. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. What Was it Ragtime? Ragtime? Yes, we did get a Ragtime in. That's been 16 yeah. years. Oh, my gosh. At Foothill, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, yes. I wow. just said it. I... Yeah. I ended up doing uh, ragtime the seventh time last year. Wow. So I've uh, ended up kind of just doing the Bay Area tour of ragtime. That's great. I Did I hear that you p- got to play Cole House recently? I did, yes. Finally, I got to play Cole House up at uh, um, Throckmorton Theater in Mill Valley. Oh, great. Yeah. I've never, I've never been to anything. Ever. Have you ever worked at the Rockwater? I haven't, but I know they do some great stuff, and they have a lot of stand-up comedy and all kinds of. Uh, yes, cool, different. Yeah, yeah, solo performers, and it was. Uh, it's a really cool space. If you ever get to check it out, it's uh, one of the original theaters that uh, Charlie Chaplin um, performed in. So it had like a, uh, you know, a, a silent film segment part of it. And, you know, one of those, one of those like fireproof rooms to, <laughs> to play the nitro film, you know, so it, yeah. it goes way back. Wow. Yeah. He, he um, <laughs> this was his sort of his headquarters out here, right? At the beginning at Fremont and Marin and that's right. Yeah, Fremont Marin. Yeah, I think yeah. Palo Alto. Even I think he, if I remember right, yeah, I think was one of Palo Alto. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So, um, let's talk about your uh, your really cool. I don't know what you're calling it. A TV show <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it's it's a radio. It's I guess it's a radio podcast at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it, it really just out of the George Floyd, you know, situation, a lot of things have happened in my life, particularly, you know, with, uh, <clears throat> all these theater companies that I had been working with, um, kind of reaching out and wanting to create new, you know, programs and opportunities and really talk about racism, talk about the, um, the situations with uh, diversity and inclusion in the arts. And then out of that, out of those discussions, um, a friend of a friend said he just started stalking my Facebook and uh, looking at all the discussions that I was, you know, bringing up and, uh, and realized, Hey, this is this guy, this guy, you know, he explains himself really well. He's a good communicator. He has a performing arts background. So would I be interested in doing this radio show? And I had not given it a single thought previous to that. I had no, you know, inkling or interest in doing radio work, but I was like, Hey, maybe it's a good time to give it a shot. And I, uh, started, uh, started doing some of my own research and putting together, you know, a platform with different guests every week and all that. So, and here we are episode five coming up. It's so interesting. I loved 
watching the last episode. I, I'm still not through the whole thing, but it's extremely educational. Yeah. Uh, um, That's what so I try to do. Of, yeah. I really enjoyed uh, listening to the history of uh, San Francisco and the Bay Area and how black people were affected by different things. And we never learn any of this stuff in school, of course. It's all suppressed or swept under the carpet. Um, problem yeah what was the the red summer can you just talk about that a little bit because i bet almost nobody listening to this has heard of it if absolutely so yeah. what's what's fascinating about the red summer is how uh, lost it is in our history books first of all and uh really it's a culmination of a few things it's really about uh, the fact that the you know reconstruction era which incorporated jim crow you know separate but equal kind of facilitated black neighborhoods being able to to flourish a little bit you know kind of in their own domain and because so many of the former slaves were were skilled workers skilled craftsmen skilled farmers skilled you know anything cooks horse wranglers they all had skills coming out of the south mm -hmm. so they were able to really you know start their own businesses and uh, really have some pretty good levels of, of financial ownership um and then uh <laughs> kind of going into the early 1900s um there was there was oh so there was another uh um pandemic there was the spanish flu that hit the united states twice i guess no. and 1918 was the second version of the spanish flu which really wiped out a lot of big communities and um black uh folks from the south really started migrating up to northern cities just to get away from you know the devastating effects of that flu so the culmination of, you know, individual black um, towns all over the country and an influx of black people coming um, up from the South culminated in race wars and uh, the white supremacy in the country um, kind of got to this point where they felt that black people were were, were uh, too successful, were uh, not, you know, the black, black people who had formerly worked for white, you know, owned businesses kind of left those businesses and went back into their own town. So they were very self-sufficient. And then um, when you look at a couple cities like St. Louis and uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, they had built their own financial system. So that's where you get the Black Wall Street um and they were very very successful um had their own banks had their own financial you know had their own wall street system so um yes yeah, so that culmination of um black people kind of rising up in their own domain um one thing led to another in the red summer which initially started in 1917 and it's actually well documented in the new york times that year mm -hmm. Um, I think there were 30 cities that were under attack. 
that we're having race wars, having white mobs flood these black towns and um, basically burn them out of their towns, you know, shooting, hanging, killing, running them out of town. Um, it got to a point where it was, it was pretty much like a national um, disaster, a national emergency. And the president um, uh, basically uh, took the World War I returning troops after the Treaty of Versailles happened, end of World War I. All of those troops were sent back home to try to squelch all of these riots, all of these race wars in the country. So you'll wow. see a lot of National Geographic pictures of World War One troops, you know, escorting black people in and out of towns and just kind of in martial law, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So that happened from 19. I mean, the bulk of it, you'll see other incidents like with with Central Park in New York in like 1850 something. I think it might be 1853 or eight, something like that, where there were other small incidents of black cities, black communities being uprooted from where they were but the bulk of this violence was 1917 to 1923 and it affected upwards of like 53 different cities all over the country gosh so that to me was kind of the worst period of american history and in terms of in terms of black people because we kind of had built this financial independence, this, you know, success factor in the country. And that really just got torn away um, in one fell swoop. Yeah. Post-slavery, I guess that's the worst thing. Post-slavery, exactly. <laughs> I think slavery yeah. for three or 400 years is probably the most horrible thing. Yeah, well, what's, um, what's really interesting is, is during, obviously, slavery, slavery was horrific, but... Yeah. The one thing about slavery is black people were commodities, even though we weren't considered fully human beings. Three fifths. We were enough commodities that we weren't killed off. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just blows my mind, honestly. Um, so, uh, now, ironically, uh, because of segregation, black people yeah. were able to thrive in this system. Yes. Although I think that, that getting rid of segregation is, was absolutely necessary to whatever extent we've done it since whenever that happened in the 60s, I guess. Right. But, um, it, I find it very ironic that, uh, or maybe it just shows the, the, the amazing fortitude of human nature that even though you're being suppressed and repressed and put down, you, you find a way to, to create your own economy, to create your own world as it were right but right. Uh, the status quo the the white status quo just could not tolerate that i saw it as a threat exactly. i suppose yeah yeah um, but now am i right though that some of it was built back up um after that like didn't las vegas have its own uh strip that was mostly for uh black uh people or I guess anyone could go, but Absolutely. it was, yeah. So, so once again, you know, the red summer happened and a lot of black communities were, were pushed out of small towns mm -hmm. and went into the major cities. So then there's another big influx of black people going to Las Vegas, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, 
Chicago, uh, you know, all these major cities and building big communities there. Yeah. And even integrating with white communities and other, you know, like my mom grew up in Philadelphia where there were Jews and Italians and Polish and all the immigrants were all with within the black communities. They're all integrated. Yes. Yes. Um, and and I, and that happened in San Francisco too, to some extent. I think exactly it yeah. did. Yeah. When I was listening to your show uh, with those two gentlemen, Gary and Gary, no, not Gary. Uh, <laughs> that's you, uh, Jeff, <laughs> the- Jeffrey, Jeffrey Moon, and uh, and let's uh, uh, Rory, Rory. Rory yeah, yeah. Uh, they were talking about, and, and maybe you can help me with this because I didn't get the whole thing, but um, yeah, how. Irish people and I know Italian people too came over here and they were sort of at the bottom of the of the social barrel as it were Uh, and that's my heritage Italian mostly Uh, Uh but that for some reason they became very prejudiced as a people against blacks and other minorities and I've always wondered why uh, and I think that he said it was because, and I th- totally think this is true, because um, it was a competition for the to not being on the bottom or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying yeah. this right, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've experienced Absolutely. that in my own family, and uh, I always wondered. I hate to say that, but it's true. Um, I've always wondered where that came from because it never made any sense to me. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. really really interesting how um systematic that whole transition was and i don't think anyone really knew what was happening beneath the surface and when you look at you know a few things that i talked about on this on that very episode just with the uh the 19 i guess 36 uh new york world fair they had the new ride futurama Mm -hmm. which kind of had this you know model you, you ride through this model utopian city all white people city. all white Pick people fence. <laughs> yeah yeah we didn't know that that was happening oh this wonder is, bread this is building this perfect white community right yeah yeah so well, through things like that and then the building of all the interstate highways where sadly white supremacists took took hold of the engineering side of it mm-hmm. and ended up plowing through all the black neighborhoods that were in the major cities so yeah. once again, displacing them is separate. That's why we have a black neighborhood and a white neighborhood and an Asian neighborhood and a Japanese neighborhood. Like all of those were zoned out as the cities were redeveloped or, or uh, enhanced, right? Mm-hmm. So those were engineered, like the separation of the, re, the re-segregation of, envir- of neighborhoods and cities where it was very tightly engineered. So where does that leave Italians and Polish and Germans and, you know, whatever they end up in the white neighborhood, you know, so that that is part of the separation. And then you connect like education, you connect banking systems that are giving loans to buying houses, to renting homes, to owning property. And you're zoning people into specific neighborhoods through those systematic, right? Yes. Systematic processes. So all of a sudden. Yeah, you know, Italians, we used to have to fight for whatever we, we wanted. And all of a sudden, they're getting access to the white neighborhood, everything that is involved in the white neighborhood. And they're able to 
jump into local governments and have a voice and make decisions and new policies and all of that. And I think they want to make sure they stayed there. So it's like, and they uh, stay there. it's sorry. like, um, I better join the prejudice bandwagon so that, uh, I look and act like everybody else who, uh, hates those they're afraid of. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My, my, my 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 when we first got our dog she was like she's kind of a passive dog so she w- would be uh, she would placate all of us except my little son who was a little okay. boy right and she yeah. would like try yeah. to like dominate him uh cuz okay. he, he was the only one she could dominate you know it i hate to right. say that but it's like it's kind of like it's very similar it's a good like social experiment yeah, yeah. And if you're unconscious you're going to take part in it you know? Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh. It even happened within the black neighborhoods and cities. We had, we got to a point where lighter skinned black people looked down on darker skinned black people within the black community. You know, there's a wonderful so, two person yeah. play about that called yellow man. I think I saw I've heard it. of that play. I've never seen it. Oh, I saw it at Berkeley rep like 10 years ago. It's so good. Okay. It's so yeah. good. I wish, I don't know if it would be the right time to do it now. Probably not. But, um, at some point it would be cool if somebody put that up. I don't think it would yeah. be right under these circumstances. Cause that's not what people are focusing on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's but good. People need to understand how that works though. Yeah. I think it's really important. Like people don't really people don't really understand how we got to this point, you know. They don't understand that sadly white neighborhoods are grooming they're grooming people to be white supremacists, you know. So you can decide to go with the flow and accept your privilege and hold on tightly to your privilege, or you could have an open mind and be a critical thinker and say, Hey, something's wrong with this. Yeah. You know, I shouldn't, I'm not, I don't want to look down on those people and, and judge them versus me, you know? So you make your own decision. I have a question about the term white supremacist. And, um, and look, yeah. let me explain it a little bit. I don't want to get too in depth. Yeah. I was reading that living document that's being yes. circulated and right it's on the, the new web page, it says, Something about white uh, the, uh, white supremacy or something, right? Uh, and my first thing is I I'm not a white supremacist. That's Timothy McVeigh. That's the KKK. Blah blah. Oh, uh, yeah. extremists. Yeah. And my yeah. ah okay yeah. So, um, I googled white supremacist, and uh, well, there's white supremacy, which is like right. just a term meaning which is white we what we live under. Right. Yes. 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 It, yes. It's there's systemic white, or if you want to say systematic and systemic white uh, privilege that, mm-hmm. that that pervades our society for the most right. part. And then, but then there's the term white supremacist. Yes. Which, <laughs> when a white person hears that, anyway, they're going to go. I ain't no white supremacist. I'm very defensive about it. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, it evokes these images of. People that you don't lynch people and beating up black people and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right and, and at first I was like why are they, why are they writing this whoever wrote this thing why are they using that term I mean um, <laughs> yeah but then I was yeah. thinking uh, I even wrote a, a note to to the who said contact us saying why you know I I totally am behind what you're doing here I think it's great but when you use the word white supremacy. 
you might all of a sudden lose half your audience because they're going to be. Oh, <laughs> right, right. But on the other hand, it does. It is provocative, which maybe in the long term is a good thing, right? Because I was yeah, thinking yeah. part of it uh, subconsciously, even with me, was like as a white person, I, you know, I can say whatever the hell I want. I'm probably going to be fine, right? Right, um, right. As a black person, and I was listening to a, a podcast uh, about something in the South where black people were trying to get their rights in the eighties and they were in court and the white people were calling everyone names, F you blah, blah. And, <laughs> and the black people came in and were very polite and made sure yeah. that they were very professional. They were all dressed up like in their Sunday best and all. And yeah. Um, yeah. I was thinking, Hmm, you know, just because they used one term, whoever wrote this website, I'm taking offense at it, which I really wasn't. I just had this gut reaction. Uh, of course, yeah. I mean, <coughs> I'm thinking. It's almost like the N word for a black person, you know? Almost. Almost. But on the other yeah. hand, so yeah. what? Because it's I mean, stereotype. I, I still see videos <laughs> of white people using the N word, uh, you know, on Reddit. Oh, black yeah. People. yeah. So it's like, <laughs> hey, what's wrong if they do it once in a while? Right. You know, it's like, right. I can handle it. I should be able to <laughs> handle it. They've had to handle it for hundreds of years. Yes, yes, right, right. Um, so I kind of liked it after a while. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I was first, I was like, this isn't a good idea, but then I was thinking, you know, this is a damn good idea. Yeah, because, you know, right, it's right. like screw you. We can we can say things, and and maybe they're not perfect, but so what? You you do it all the time. Okay, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. Because, right. because as white white people, we do we 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 feel mm -hmm. like we can say or do anything we want. I mean. Anyway, I'm going kind of going on here. It's enabled, but, yeah. It's just the the societal from a and I talked about it in a previous episode. Just like just uh, me growing up in primarily white neighborhoods, like I see it from a very unique perspective. Right, mm -hmm. I lived in the neighborhood that provided the privilege. Right, so I yeah. saw how it's handed off, how it's handed down from generation to generation. How the how the school systems work, the banking systems, all of business corporations, like they all just enable they enable things to continue on where white people have a privilege, right? White yeah. people get quickly promoted up the up the chain of command. White people always are going to get uh, loans for homes. You know, uh, white people are always going to get access to the best education. That's just systematic stuff, right? So if you're yeah. living in that system, you're not you're not living in that system because you think you're better than black people. But what's happening is the system is feeding you, you know, this enablement so that yeah. you're after a while you're thinking, oh, well, maybe I am better than black people. Maybe white <laughs> communities are smarter and cleaner and more intelligent and less criminal oriented than black communities. Like you just naturally take on those thought patterns right yes yes it's so, so easy to do about, yeah when we talk about supremacy like white supremacy white supremacy i think there's different levels of it like there's very the extremist level is you're actually like preaching the stuff you know yeah. to groups of people and you go out on the town and do crazy stuff but then there's a very like uh there's very, uh, how do you say, placid or neutral or a non, you know, um, uh, 
aggressive versions of white supremacy, but you just live through it and accept it for what it is. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So yeah, I understand. I just, uh, personally, I was never, I never thought of it that way. I always thought of the white supremacist as being over there, you know? Yes. And that's, uh, and that's where our education, I mean, so many of these issues map back to education. We even learned in, in, in grade school that white supremacy is the KKK exactly. and they go around with hoods on and da, 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 da. They I mean, that's my stuff. image. Yeah. That's your image. Right. And yeah. then, yeah. So there's just so much missing from how we teach this stuff. I get it now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's wow. a really, really, uh, we're, we're getting a lot of big doses of reality now. <laughs> I, so do you think that this is the, the dawn of a new age? I or- think so. I do think so. I think just, you know, from a white community perspective, I am seeing so much more perspective now on the whole situation. Like people are seeing these issues very um, objectively now. They're asking lots of really good questions. They're formulating lots of very well thought out, you know, um, objective, you know, uh, ways to describe issues like, hey, Hamilton, you know, Hamilton the Musical, we brought that up as well as a big topic. It's a wonderful show. It's made over a billion dollars. It gave, you know, unknown black actors an opportunity to really shine, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also lots of issues with it, you know? So it's like when we talk about issues with something, about something, we're not canceling it out. We're not saying, oh, it's the most, it's a horrible thing because you left out this, da, 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 da. We're just saying that that's an issue that maybe we can address in the future. So that's when we need to talk about things from a less like emotional reactive perspective. What are the issues with Hamilton? I'm curious. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and these are things like just talking from a black perspective, obviously you have characters in that show that, uh, historical figures that were slave owners, um, during that time period. And they're played by black men. So that, from a black perspective, is pretty uh, efficient, right? Like, oh, I never thought of that. Okay, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, gosh, that's just like, oh, okay. So now, now it's back. Now for black people, it's like, okay, now we're going back to this, like, in a a white supremacy way of thinking is to generalize everything. Oh, the Italians, you know, they they struggled just as much as black people, and da 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 da. No, they didn't. Like you get it right, you know. It's always trying to minimize, right? The black struggle. Oh, it's not as bad as you're saying. Stop complaining so much. It's not so bad, you know? Other people struggle. So that's where it's like, when you put a black face on, uh, on one of the most, you know, horrible, one of the most horrible periods of time, that's like definitely minimizing how bad it was for black people. That's, that's a trigger for black people to see that. Wow. And then there was an article a few days ago that was that really gave a lot of props to the show, but it mentioned that it didn't have any mention of Native Americans that were really critical to that time period, to the revolutionary um, era. They had a lot to do with, you know, the course of history, how it, you know, how it played out. There's no mention at all in the show about them. 
could have just even been a line or two in one of the songs, that would have done it. So that's yeah. another that's that is another whole thing, another scar on our history is what yeah. we did to the native people. Oh my god. I yeah. mean we, this this yeah. country started on two horrible atrocities. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Now yeah, slavery the, and the wiping out of a race. Yeah. Uh, um basically. Yeah. Uh now good. now I'm just curious. Um, I have a couple of friends in Hamilton on Broadway. I know you have at least one. Yeah. Have absolutely. you ever had a chance yeah. to talk to them about this? I have not. Oh, I okay. want to reach out to, yeah, we, we both know um, Ricky and James. Yeah. And I, and I, and I know David yeah. too. I was in a show with David. And David. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 I, I've tried yeah, to, I love to talk to them, but Ever since they both became big celebs, uh, I used to talk to James <laughs> quite a bit. But when, <laughs> once it became, it was like, yeah, I, I could just imagine they just get inundated with. Uh, oh my gosh! They have to. Like, there's absolutely yeah. no way. I mean, you just got to keep your closest friends close and just kind of forget about everything else. Yeah, right. Um, right. Which I totally understand, <laughs> but I just had. I mean, I'd love to have him on the show, but I don't think it'll happen. Um, until I become big time. There we go. There Just we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he'll go on yours. Yay. All right. Yes, absolutely. Or, or maybe David, or maybe Ricky will. Maybe Ricky would. Yeah. 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 That would be great. I got to reach out to him. Yeah. 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 Um, Although there's plenty, there are plenty of people in the Bay Area who are extremely interesting too. I'm just thinking in terms of getting yeah, getting you big, some big getting numbers perspectives. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I I love. No, this is a little off. Well, first of all, before I get to that, no, I'll, I'll yeah. I love your format. Uh, I'm I'm watching your show on on Facebook now. Is it only video, or is there? You said there's something about radio as well. Is it on radio, or is it just uh, the video on Facebook? Yeah, so yeah, the 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 broadcast medium that we're new that we're using now is the Facebook Live video. Okay, and it's mm -hmm. called now. What is it called exactly? Because I know it seems like there are two organizations that are sort yes. of involved in this. So my weekly show is mm -hmm. called Planet Bay Area. Okay. And I dubbed it that. And then the mothership radio station is called California Urban. Okay. So they broadcast my show. I see. Mm -hmm. and, and are you in a studio? I love the way you do this. Now, are you two with <laughs> the people that, that you're interviewing? Or are you yes. somewhere else? Yeah, so we're in a studio in okay. Oakland. And we're, you know, like you're, we're perfectly like social distance from each other. Ah. And we have like a, we have a HEPA filter going on in between us to kind of keep the air purified, you know? So it's a kind of a cool setup. Cool. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's, it's the social distancing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm watching and they're like, I think they're looking at him. Um, okay. Yeah. But, yes, but it's hard right. to see if you were the same we're room or not. Each other. Like maybe like eight feet apart or something, you know. And do you do the editing or somebody else doing that? No, so uh, so Marcus Hughes, who owns California Urban, yeah. he's actually the DJ slash producer. Okay, and he's yeah, he's doing the editing, he's doing the camera switches and all ah. of the graphics and stuff. Like he's loaded that up into the show. So 
It's cool. Yeah. I love the sound effects and stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. He's doing <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> I love it. I love he's having it. a great time back there. Yeah. It just takes a lot of time to do all that because I have to do my all my own editing here. And Got man, it. it's time yeah. consuming. Time consuming, yeah. Oh my yeah. God. So many times I'm going, what am I doing this for? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just because I, I I love doing it, but the work afterwards. Right. But you know, it's a lot of work. Fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I uh, how long have you been performing and directing in the Bay Area now? Quite a while, huh? Wow, performing since the mid. I mean, performing in musical theater since '87. Mm-hmm. And um, before that, my brother and I um, kind of performed together, you know, all through the 80s, doing stuff at home. My mom had a performing company, but I started doing theater with, uh, with Theater Works okay. in 1987. Is it Peter Pan? Oh, yeah. And that was kind of the beginning of stuff with Robert Kelly and uh, Francis Jew and all those folks down there when we were, when they were a tiny little community theater, you know, yeah, I remember that. out of middle school. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching, so going to shows day. at like, uh, Coverly high school classrooms. Theater That's right. Shows. Coverly. Yes. <laughs> yes. The good old days. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, I've been doing it since then and, uh, didn't really take musical theater too seriously because once again, my, family performing company was performing throughout the year we were booking shows for ourselves oh what was this well i did what would you you had your family had a company what was that yes my mom had a performing arts company has my brother's still running it now it's called ps performance and uh she would put on variety shows for just i mean primarily convalescent homes hospitals senior groups, you know, Rotary, Lions Clubs, all kinds. She would book stuff at Filoli Mansion, all over the Bay Area. She would book stuff for the kids. And she would teach them how to stay and dance and do little acting scenes. And we do variety shows throughout the year. Nice. And your brother's running that now. I haven't, I haven't seen your brother in years. Uh, I know. I don't yeah. think, is he on Facebook? I don't think he's on Facebook. Is he? No, he's not a social media person at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah, have to share stuff with him. I'll send him links, but he's not, he's not on it at all. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised at how many people I knew from years ago just are not on Facebook. Right. Um, I was like, yeah. oh, I'll just find them on Facebook. Oh, they're not there. Oh, well. Not there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. as far as your performing goes and there, you mm-hmm. have a lot of people who are uh, actors and directors and things who listen to this, what, uh, if there's one thing you had wish you had known before you started or started taking theater seriously, what, what was that that you didn't know that you do know? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think as I got more serious about, musical theater and working on my voice. This was maybe right around when we did Ragtime. Mm-hmm. I had started to really work on my voice and I had actually auditioned for Cole House for that production, but there was James. So. I think it was kind of predetermined. <laughs> it's kind of predetermined, but <laughs> they actually allowed me to audition cool. against him. So I was right like, nice. I learned a lot just from like, oh, wow, he's got, he is James Aguilar for a reason. Um, that that motivated me actually to continue really working on my voice and, and build up my, you know, acting and performing skills for theater. Um, 
I guess I've learned over the years that um, you can have an impact on a show many different ways. As I've, you know, ventured into doing stuff behind the scenes, I've learned a lot more about designing shows, directing a number of shows, choreographing a number of shows. Um, learned a lot about uh, um, color, color blind casting, color conscious casting, um, all the different opportunities around the Bay Area. I've started to venture out further and further work with different companies. So I've just learned a lot more about the, the, the theater industry over the years. So color conscious casting, color blind casting, this is a very yeah. complicated issue, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like a different answer for every show almost, you know? And there's no right answer. I don't think. It's 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 well, so it's nuanced yeah. and difficult to make the right. Well, maybe there is a right answer, but it's always yeah. difficult to discover it and to make the right decision sometimes. Yeah, that, yeah, that, and I that, think that, the that's a really good the good point that you bring that up because it's there. As I said, the answer is different for <laughs> for every show and every theater, every director. I think the right way of thinking is just to think in terms of let me try to give different types of people opportunities just at that basic level. And if yes. you have that type of philosophy, you're going to figure out who fits where and what and this and that, who's going to match up with, you know, yeah. uh, different people for your leads and supporting roles and all of that, you know. I think there is a mistake that people make, and I've made it as a director in the past yeah. that I've learned um, that you have to match people perfectly. Like you couldn't have yeah. a, a, a white family right. with like and a black Biff. Yeah, <laughs> but that's yeah, actually that's not exactly. true. That's actually not true. Right. Audiences are true. so like when people are good and they're doing a great job, I mean, like it doesn't like that just completely disappears within the first 30 seconds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. in my experience, because absolutely. I've had to struggle with it and I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is ridiculous. I've seen all kinds of shows with people cast in interesting ways. And I never uh, gave it a second thought while I was watching the show. In fact, I liked it. Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Right. Um, that's why I think yeah. a lot of this is a lot of this, prejudice and bigotry and everything is born of ignorance um there you go absolutely i you know um before like for instance before i got into oh my uh theater could you hear my phone yeah <laughs> oh, i, love I mean i've been into theater when i was a little kid but when i when i as i as i as i got older not before i got into theater but when as as um it was always called non-traditional casting uh, right. Later. And as um, as that became prevalent, I was so confused. I didn't understand what was going on. And I actually, when I think back, I had some pretty ignorant ideas myself. But okay. that's changed over time. Yeah. Yes. We come to accept more change. Uh, I, the more that we're exposed to, the more we accept, you know? Yes, yes. And, and, and before I started doing musicals, which was kind of late in my career, um, right. I had, I think I had some homophobia. 
Oh, yeah. And, uh, yes, and, yeah. And, then, and then all of a sudden, almost all of my male friends were gay. <laughs> yeah, right. And then it's like, man, I love gay people. They're so much fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's like... Um, yes, yes. And then last year, I was, uh, I was in a reading this big reading festival at Lorraine Hansberry theater, I think. Oh yeah. And Absolutely. Yeah, two years ago, I can't remember. And I have never had so much fun doing theater in my life. I mean, oh, oh my gosh, like, I, I never yeah. laughed so hard. Right. I, I, right. I, um, I just think that people don't, people are closed off. They're either purposely closed off to people who are look different than them or have a different yeah. backgrounds or they, yeah. They're either purposely or they're they're just by design, systemic design left out of it. And then they develop these completely wrong headed ideas about the other. Um, That's right. And it's kind of human nature, unfortunately, unless you're conscious of it. That's what I'm talking about. Being groomed. That's why our our isolated neighborhoods, environments groom us to be ignorant of everybody else. Yeah. Or supreme or supremacist to everybody else, you know, yes. all of those. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Can so I tell you I, a little story? That theater people get so much theater folks get so much access that it's, it's definitely easier for us. You know, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because we are, we're exposed to more diversity by design, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, although not enough of apparently not enough <laughs> from what i've been reading <laughs> i didn't even yeah. notice all those things until i started reading those doc that document the living right, document right. people don't know what we're talking about there's a document where people were allowed to tell stories about what happened to them because of their diversity in bay area theater and um there's some stories there's so many there. things that i was just blind to uh because i'm white right. i guess i didn't even think about it can i tell you a quick story because, yeah, because I want to get your your take on this, and it's a personal thing that happened to me in terms of this. I'll try to do it quickly. <laughs> I'm yeah, not doing this it. to Number tell eight. my story, but I want to hear I what you think. Stories. Okay, yeah. so about nine years ago, I was going to school in, in London, and I uh, I took uh, I, it was Fourth of July, and I, I was pining for America. I found this play called um, uh, "The Mountaintop" by Katori Hall. I'm sure. Yes. You, yes. Yes. I know. And, uh, yeah, it it right. opened in London. It was playing in London. That's where it opened. And this was the uh, first production and it was 4th of July. So I, I took like this two and a half hour bus ride to the outskirts of London and saw this play above a, this pub. Okay. And it was, I was absolutely blown away. I was like, you know, like when you go to a show and you're just <laughs> like, holy shit, this is why right. I do this. I'm like, I yeah. love this. Uh, so I, I literally, after the show, I got outside, I wrote an email to Katori Hall, like in the, when I was in the lobby, I'm, I've got to uh, help you with this play. I want to bring it to the Bay Area. I would yeah. love to direct it, but if I can't, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. I want to help mm-hmm. you. I, I, I helped it, get it into theater works. Um, nice. Stuff. And then nice. I, I was, at the time I was involved with the Pear Theater and yeah. I really wanted the Pear to do it. I wanted to direct it badly, and then I, I did start to direct it. And then, right when I began directing it, uh, it was right at the first, the first wave or whatever you call it of Black Lives Matter. I guess like five or six years ago. Yeah, twenty thirteen ish. Yeah. Yes, and then and then also, um, and then also there was a uh, a production of I think the 
an August Wilson play. I can't remember which one it was, but there was a white white director directing it and it caused all kinds of problems. And then at the same time, there was somebody in the Midwest who cast Martin Luther King as a white, a white man playing Martin Luther King. I remember that. And this was all while I was about to direct the mountaintop. (laughs) And I, I swear to God, this is true. I never even crossed my mind that it might not be appropriate for me to direct this play. All I knew was I loved the play. Um, I, Martin Luther King to me was always a symbol for everyone in my life since I was a little kid because I kind of grew up with that whole thing. Yeah, I never thought of it as like a, a black or white thing. It was like a get come together thing. <laughs> it was like right. this little kid in me. And okay. then all of a sudden when this happened, um, so the first thing that happened was I, I had auditions and uh, like 46 people signed up for the auditions. and I was all excited. And then six people showed up. Whoa. And uh, luckily they were all awesome. And I ended up with two amazing actors. I don't know if you got to see the show, but I didn't get to see that one. Uh, no. Yeah. It was incredible. Uh, so oh. It was great. But um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was then, but then when we started rehearsals, I was totally paranoid. Like, oh my God. Uh, okay. I'm just like, yeah. I like yeah. with everything that was going on. Was, Is there going to be some problems? Yeah. Yeah. And I never even considered not directing it. I couldn't. I just, because it had been my literally a huge goal of mine for nine years. Or well, at that time, five right. years. Five, five years. Okay. Okay. So I, here's what I stupidly did. Okay. Okay. Tell me what this sounds like. <laughs> All right. I can't even believe I'm going to say this. So I'm sitting in the first rehearsal with my cast of two black men and a black woman. And I say, you know, I know I look like the typical white guy, but my family were, this is true too. My family was sharecroppers in Pacifica and they were. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, And uh, I'm not saying that my experience at all equates to yours, but uh, I just want to say that that's my background. And it's like, oh, and the little I got were like, oh, God, I'm done. I just cooked my own goose. (laughs) And there's no coming back. And uh, from then on, it was so much tension, even though they were awesome and we created a great thing. But it was so bad that I had to bring in uh, every rehearsal, like halfway through rehearsals, I had to bring somebody, a woman in from the board to be there to kind of counterbalance this, whatever the hell happened between us. Yeah. Because of what I said. Yeah. What do you think about all that? I know that was a long story. Do you have any thoughts? I'm glad you told me that. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is like, it's, um, that is a big trigger for black people, as you've probably witnessed first. I had no idea it was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> or I never would have done um, it because I caused myself hell. Okay, so tell yeah. me. Tell me what <laughs> I think what happened there was if I if I was the, the a person in your cast, I would think, okay, well, um, you there's no there's no way that you can obviously equate your life to a black person's life and i and i said and that i said that what, but it didn't matter and you said that as well okay <laughs> and um i guess the part where so a lot of 
a lot of white people have this response that I'm not racist. I know black people. My best friend's a black person. Like, so we've heard that a million times. Right. So that's where if somebody else says it's like, oh, God, not again. You know, like, here we go again. I think that the approach should be and this is a really good lesson for everyone else when you get to a position where you are the boss you're a boss of a black person or a partner of a black person or you're directing a black show that you really maintain uh this space to be very ignorant about the black experience leave space so that You don't get to a point where it's like, uh, the black person doesn't have a voice. I think that's the real trigger is the white person will say, you know, I know what's best for you. Like I'm the boss or I'm this, I'm that because, and because I've studied and I know black people, this is how it's going to be. And, you know, um, there's, and, and you, I'm not, enabling you as a black person to have a lot of say about it. That's kind of the situation that normally happens. So even if you didn't mean to say, you know, I'm Mr. Director and I'm oppressing you to listen to me and follow my direction. You probably weren't trying to say that at all. No, in fact, it was the opposite. I was was the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it was perceived as soon as as that's like the death knell right there to say, you know, black people, you've lived it, you know, all of that stuff. In fact, I'm actually talking to uh, once a month, I'm trying to talk to a very, very white, right winged white man um, who has done theater in the South Bay. He's a Trump supporter. He is, you know, anti-liberal to the nth degree. And uh, so we're, we're having really intelligent discussions about, OK, let's let's unpack everything, you know, from a black perspective, let's just, you know, pretend, you know, you, you grew up uh, in military bases and there were black people and white people and they all had equal, you know, opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what you saw, you know, that's from a black person's perspective. It's going to be like, no, that's not how it was. <laughs> you might've seen it to be a certain way, but behind closed doors, that black person struggled at every turn. Yeah. Every opportunity to, to um, you know, raise their kids or get a new job or get promoted or be recognized. There was a struggle there that you did not experience. So that's why your experience with, with, with those actors was they are thinking, wow, this guy has no idea how much we've struggled in our lives and how horrible it is to be a black person in America. You know, <laughs> so you get so what you probably got is a lot of passive aggressive. Totally. The whole time. because they can't just come out and say, hey, Ray, our life sucks. You know, <laughs> you just don't want to say that. So you get a lot of passive aggressive emotions and responses and all of that. It's yeah. so sad and made me so frustrated because I think like, yeah. and also they didn't know me like you kind of. Right. Yeah. There's two things yeah. about me that people. There's a couple things, but like, first of all, I'm pretty chill, but I also just say shit, you know, and like, it gets yeah. me in trouble yeah. a lot. Right. <laughs> and I usually yeah. don't mean it for mean reasons. I usually just. Yeah. 
No, it's the, uh, it's, uh, that's a really, another really good, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think going forward with the community theater, you know, situations that we, that we read about and how things just basically have decayed in terms of racial relations, I think I have no problem with a white person directing a black play. But the solution to that is to probably bring on a black person to be on staff, like an expert, like someone who has a black point of view to help drive the medium. Like if you have a vision of the show, you know what you want to do with the actors, you know the story that you want to tell, you need a black person next to you to kind of work out the micro aggressions, the micro details, the, the nuances, the backstories, like to really help drive that side of it. That keeps it a very balanced process for the black people in the show. Yes, the microaggressions. We were all micro, we were microaggressioning each other for six weeks. Uh, oh, gosh. The worst one was, the worst one, <laughs> I can't believe it. The worst one was, so, uh, Cam A, who is the name of the act, the character, uh-huh. she's yeah. a maid in this fictitious The Last Night yes. of Martin yes. Luther yes. King's Life. She's the maid in the hotel. And right. uh, I don't want to give anything away, but in her prior life, the way I read it was she was a prostitute. And uh, there's a monologue <laughs> where she talks about that, but it's not it's not completely not explicit. Completely. Yeah. So, but I was certain of it, and the actress was like standing up to me. Good for her. Okay. Like, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I did? This sucks. I can't believe I did this. So I knew Katori Hall pretty well because I'd been emailing her for all those years, a little on and off. And I wrote her an email right in the middle of rehearsal. Was Kim May a prostitute? She answered me in like five seconds. Yes. And I was like, yeah. And I like told the actors. Uh, okay. Like, and then I was like, what the hell am I doing? And then that was like the straw that, that broke the, the camel. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, and uh, <laughs> there's nothing implicitly wrong for any of us to be doing any of that. But under the situation, after what had already started, that was so stupid of me. And yeah, I mean, now I would never do. I mean, that was only a few years right. ago, but I've learned so much since then. I would never mm-hmm. do that again. I, I'm not trying to talk about myself in this conversation. So no, much, no, no, I'm, no. That's just you're bringing up really good points because if it was a different show and the cast was white, I have no problem with anything you did or said, or mm-hmm. because you're just following protocol. And you're not talking to people who have been, quote unquote, oppressed. You're not talking to people who have had a completely different life experience than you. And that's the difference. That's the that's the main difference there. You know what I mean? Exactly. So it's really tricky to to think of that where, you know, if if you were Asian and the cast members were Asian, it would be totally different than the fact that you were white and they were black. Totally. And here, what a jerk. I mean, it's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to write a note to your black sister just because I happen to know her and I'm going to prove you wrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like it even, like it didn't even matter. Like it, like she was playing it fine. Right. Right. She was playing it fine. I didn't care if she believed 
in in retrospect, I didn't really it didn't really matter if she believed she was what a the motivation was. Yeah. Yeah. I just had to be right. Got it. Got it. Yes. 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 And that so take that and multiply it by a million. Mm-hmm. And just put different, let's put some different scenarios behind that and see why that pissed her off so much. Okay. Uh, she has a child in school and the school, the teachers say that her, her son or daughter or kid is, you know, a horrible, horribly behaved and, you know, they shouldn't be part of the, shouldn't be part of the educational program, et cetera, et cetera. We're suspending your kid, right? So that happens at a bigger, much higher rate than my kids. And she tries to, you know, reason with them, deal with them. They don't, they will not listen to her, right? Things yeah. like that, right? Or she okay. goes for, a, as I said before, she goes for a house loan. She has good credit. She wants to live in a white neighborhood. No, 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 everywhere she goes. So those things all compile on themselves. And then here I'm doing something for fun. And now I have another white person telling me no. Telling, you know, dictating my thoughts. So that's just like, it's like a nuclear explosion, right? And what I did was so awful. I used, I used yeah. the playwright who was also a black woman, like the same age. Against her. Oh, a jerk. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't. <sighs> right. Unbelievable. Right. Like the unconscious stuff you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Without with being, and, and becoming so insensitive. You, and just because you're in a position of power, you know, I think I'm impervious right. to that, but I'm not. And, and I, I'm like, uh, you know, as the older I get, the more aware I am. But it's just That's amazing. great. That's great. You know, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think that so many of us can't even get to that point of realization. And you can yeah. do it with anybody who's. Really- yeah, yeah, sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 good. I, I was just going to say that um, we really have to come to a self realization of our privilege. Yeah. And realize how different. For example, a white man has considerably more privilege than anyone else. And I don't think people really realize what does that mean? Like, white men are just living normal American lives. Like, we've get you know grow up we get education we go to church we get jobs we try to be try to make money for our families like what's wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that right but the difference is everyone else it's has much more of a struggle to get to that point so that's where you realize hey okay so now that i realize hey i have more privilege what does that mean that means that i've been given access to always have the right answer. Like I'm the one that needs to have the right answer. I need to be right all the time. I need to be a leader. I need to be, you know, I need to be the best. I need to be the best that I can be. All of those things are fine. you know. <laughs> but the difference is everyone else doesn't get to have those things right at the same, at nearly the same rate. Yeah. So that's you're just like, okay, I need to compromise a little bit on what I've been given. Yes, yes, and uh, people are unconscious of their privilege. But it, 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 yeah. you, you can just think of it in a simple term. Uh, like, yeah. say, say there's a job opening, and yeah. Uh, yeah. ten people show up, and uh, yeah. nine of them are white, and one of them is black. Well, if you're the black person, um, yeah, Which I, I am like sure that you know. Like, okay, I'm already five, ten steps behind everyone else. 
Exactly. Not that you should go in there acting that way, but right. it's kind of like an right. audition. Like, like when I go to theater works, yeah. <laughs> I know I'm way, behind, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. I'm not going to act yeah. that way when I'm in the room, but I know, right. I, I know right. there are like five people ahead of me automatically. But I mean, yeah. And, uh, yeah. if you're, if you're black, it's going to be like that with everything. It's going to be like that with everything. Yes. For the most part, unless you go to like a black owned business or, or somebody who happens to be woke or whatever you want to call it. There you Uh, go. There you go. Yeah. I mean, uh, and it's the same thing when you get in your car to drive, right? Yep. Um, When you go to a restaurant. Restaurant. Yes. Yes. When when you're just trying to uh, get a loan at a bank, like, and even more important things, getting loans. Right, right. uh, Going on vacation to nice Aspen, Colorado. There you go. Or the Caribbean Islands. Like, you don't know how you're going to be treated there at those resorts. You think you're getting away to have a wonderful time, but who knows if they even like Black people being there, you know? So it just impacts everything. Have you ever had that experience? Like, gone to a typical, like, white vacation spot and have people, like, Give you the- I have not because I okay. know where they are and I, I avoid them. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that I don't need sucks. the drama. <laughs> but that's what we have to research. That's what we research when we go on vacations. All right, what is this place? What is the diversity? How are black people treated? You know, what are the reviews of this place? You know, so that's what we have to look at. Other than is it a safe place to be, you know, in a foreign country, but really like also. How are these, how do these resorts treat black people? Yeah. Like, am I going to be stared at 24 seven and treated like crap as I'm spending thousands of dollars or am I going to be able to have fun? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's such a, such a, uh, you know, a weight to bear. It's very, uh, black people really have to be much more conscious of their mental health just because of those things add up so you know right it can just weigh you down and make you feel hopeless i would think right right yeah wow wow <laughs> i just hope i just hope that this somehow changes i mean i it's think it can totally, I, i've been totally to europe a lot change. yeah I, I mean my, i go to france a lot now they have their problems yeah. there they're very anti-north african <laughs> okay yes yes i think from what i've seen for the most part um other black people (laughs) i hate saying that but are are not treated as badly as they are here um i think absolutely yeah absolutely and as i research more i re i i've sadly you know the the colorism you know all started in europe anyway and emanated here in the united states into more aggressive racism but in french culture um black people were heavily involved yeah. and even more than history tells like with the french revolution there was a black count that was a big part of the whole three musketeers story like things like that yeah um were big parts of french culture and that's why black people are generally more accepted i get the north africa stuff because that goes back centuries like the moorish empire and fighting them and taking over europe and all that cultural stuff but um generally in in french culture black people 
have done a lot better there than the United States. And they did have slavery, yeah. maybe not in France proper, but in in, in yeah. their, um, outlying areas, you know. Uh, areas. Right. But right. I think it probably had a big uh, impact on the way they are now in that they, they didn't have uh, slavery in France itself. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think it was only in their um, their satellite uh, island. I believe it was. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Hmm. Uh, uh, gosh. Um, I, I, I think we're so far from this, but I, I, the other day I was listening to a scientist and he was explaining how race doesn't even really exist <laughs> from a scientific <laughs> standpoint. Um, an illusion? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is just a difference no, in would, the amount of melatonin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the crazy thing is it it didn't exist through most of the course of history. There was slavery. There were, you know, civilizations that conquered other civilizations. There was all, you know, the Bible, biblical stories, but nothing had to do with skin color until the Roman Catholic Church designed it for slavery for the the kings of the kings of Europe. Ah. Like it was specifically designed to be okay, a hierarchy of color of skin colors are going to be built into our economy, and the darker skin people are going to be the least valued, so they can be taken into slavery and forced to work all over the world. You know, so it didn't really start until the late fourteen, the late fourteen hundreds, early fifteen hundreds, like right after like, the Dark Ages. Right after the Dark Ages, Portugal started to try to infiltrate West Africa, and they battled a number of uh, West African um, uh, uh, tribes to finally get a sliver of West Africa. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, okay, what do we do next? Uh, why don't we start slavery? <laughs> <You know? laughs> why don't we enslave people? Yeah. We, need, we need to get some business going. So let's force these people to you know do work for us. But they... Yeah had to refer back to the Roman Catholic Church, like, okay, how do we design this economy? Yeah. So that's all of a sudden skin color was a big part of, you know, how we are today. Wow. Everything in Europe started getting whitewashed. You know, you know, yeah. all these famous uh, statues used to be multicolored and now they're all white. They're all painted white and Rome and France and uh, England, like all of those famous statues used to be different colors, different colors. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. About that. Yeah. The Catholic church, the root of all evil. Root of of modern racism and colorism. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to read about this. This is the, yeah. Yeah. There's some good, good, good literature on that. I didn't even know that, and I and I studied this stuff. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I guess they left some of it out. You left a little bit out, yeah. I mean, I know, yeah. I know, I know some ancillary things to that, but I didn't really actually realize that they 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 were um, the number one perpetrator of uh, of this this whole new racism that we've had for the last few hundred years. And that, I mean, that's part. So what's ironic is, I mean, obviously, that's why Americans came to the United States to get away from that, you know, uh, patriarchy and church controlled 
government, right? They wanted that. That's why the constitution was created, have separate, you know, um, balanced entities. So part of that was the church was running things. The church was running everything. And they dictated to the king. I don't know if it was the king Fernandez or one of those original, um, the original kings to implement slavery. Like this is, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to design this for you guys. And uh, black people were at the bottom of the rung. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um, when is your next, uh, your next episode? This, this week? Yes. So, uh, yep. Episode uh, five is coming up this Monday evening for Planet Bay Area. And um, we're going to talk, we're going to talk all things Bay Area theater. Great. Great. So I do have at least one Monday a month where we're going to dig into theater stuff. Planet Bay Area, Monday at what time again? Monday night at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Pacific time on Facebook. Uh, I'll put a link in the notes, but it's, it's plant. You, they can just look up Planet Bay Area on Facebook. In the search yeah, box. they can look up Planet Bay Area, and they can also look up California Urban. Okay, and then just scroll down, and you'll see the upcoming show. But, you yeah, know, okay. The Facebook show, Live. Pretty close to 7 p.m., you're going to get that Facebook Live. We'll get yeah. launched, Joe, and then you just jump right on in. I think you can also put an alarm on there just to tell you when it starts. I yes, guess. absolutely. Yeah, great. Well, I'll be sure yeah. to watch and uh, I'll put the link here in the notes so people can uh, watch it as well. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I really admire the work you're doing. Uh, I think it's extremely essential in the world that we're facing now. Um, Thank you. I, I'm so glad it's happening. I'm so glad uh, that perhaps we can finally, hopefully, start a new, a new world. Exactly. Yeah. We can, um, it's like we can realize the world that's actually there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Instead of covering up with our human BS. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's been great talking to you, Gary. You um, too. Right? Get, to, get to catch up with you after all these years. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, cool. So Have don't hang up Friday. for a sec. I'm, I'll, I'll leave yeah. it there and. I, I know we went kind of long. I really enjoyed talking to you. It's great. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, Let's do it again sometime. Bring up yeah. a, another topic. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah hopefully there'll be other topics <laughs> other than uh, exactly. pandemic and uh, yeah, and racism and racism. <laughs> Although it's important right now, it is important. But right. Uh, my wife's like, it. won't you give it a rest? Because I can't <laughs> stop talking about either of those things. Yeah. You guys are nuts. But yeah, for black people, we can never we can never stop talking about it. So I know, it I'm way. sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it must be like, you know, this is I don't know. I, did I stop it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it must be I could just imagine what it must be like. Like a constant theme in the house, like okay, uh, yeah. Well, what about that? Yeah, and it just becomes a way of having to think about everything, right? Right. Growing right. up like, in a black household, household that's all you talk about, all you talk about. Yeah, what your what your father's dealing with, and his my dad was dealing with in sales, yeah. in retail, and high tech. What my mom was dealing with, working with the 
the recreation departments in San Mateo County, uh, what my, you know, grandparents dealt with, you know, they jumped, they moved out to San Francisco from Houston, escaping a lynch mob. That's a crazy story. Like all of this stuff, you know, you learn as you grow up, you learn more and more and more about what, what has happened in our family tree. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Thanks. Cool, man. Thanks. Thanks, Gary. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody, for sticking by until the end. And remember, if you like the show, tell your friends. Even if you don't like it, tell your friends. Go into iTunes and leave me a fair review. Give me some stars, baby. I need some stars. And as I said before, I might even, not might, I will read your review on the next episode. That's right. And you can have your 15, 20, 30, maybe even a whole minute of fame. That's right. Because I'm generous that way. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for listening. And until next week, you take care of yourselves. Wash your hands, wear our masks like our president does. Social distance, stay home. Okay. Until next week, I will see you on the boards. Bye-bye, everybody. And please enjoy the beautiful tones of Miss Carly Ozard singing her version of Bridge Over Troubled Water.